Good morning. Uh, on my birthday, uh, back in May, uh, I preached a lesson uh, that I'd like to share just a couple of thoughts with you. I've been wanting to do a follow-up to that lesson ever since I preached it, and a number of things have come up uh, when I planned to do that where I wasn't able to. And so if you'll bear with me for just a couple of minutes, I want to remind you of the meat of that lesson uh, and then expand upon it in a different way this morning. And so I begin by asking you that same question I asked you then. Do you love God? Uh, can I hear your head rattle on that? Yeah. I, do you love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength? Do you want to please God? Of course you do. And that, beloved, is the number one reason why you should care about having authority for what you believe and practice, because you love God and you want to please God. You see, the New Testament draws a direct connection between love and commandment keeping. And there are many, many passages that discuss the love of God. But in those passages that tell us how to love God, how God desires for us to love Him, the overwhelming focus is on keeping His commandments. Jesus said Himself in John chapter 14 and verse 15, "...if you love Me, you will keep My commandments." Now, that's not a command. That's just the reality. If you are the kind of person who loves God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will keep His commandments. John puts it in a slightly different way in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 3. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. Just the opposite. They are for our good always. But clearly, when it comes to loving God and doing what God's will is, it's not just keeping commandments, is it? People say the New Testament is so much more than commandment keeping. And that's right. That's exactly right. It is much more than commandment keeping, but it is not less than that. God wants us to love Him with all of our hearts and do what we know pleases him, even if we can't find the direct command for that, if we can understand correctly that this is the path that pleases God, that's exactly what we should do. Again, in 1 John, this time in chapter 3 and verse 22, we keep His commandments and, John says, do those things that are pleasing in His sight. It's interesting to me that John divides those two things up. We keep the commandments of God, obviously, that's what we do. But our attitude is such, as those who love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, it is not just a matter of, well, God has this list of commands and I'm going to do those commands. I want to do everything, everything that I do in such a way that it is pleasing in His sight. Colossians 1 and verse 10. There's a great context there that we talked about on May 7th, but the summation of it is this, that you walk, that you may walk worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to Him. That's the goal. Fully pleasing to Him in our walk. And if the point of our lives is to please and glorify God out of love for Him, then when it comes to everything that we think or say or do, we should be asking that question, does this please God? And another way of thinking about that, another way of asking that is, is asking the question, do I have the authority from God to do this? Authority in regard to our actions as human beings, and especially in relation to God, is defined as the right to act in a specified way. 
It is official permission. It is sanction that I have permission by God to act in this way. And we gain that authority to act from the authority that Christ has to command. And so the number one reason we should care about having authority is because we love God. But at the same time, almost as important, and certainly just as clear, is that we, we ask the question, does this please God? Because God has the authority to command. Christ's authority is the power or right to give orders, to make decisions, and to enforce obedience. And so that's the perspective from which I would like to examine this question today. Does this please God? Well, in this second part, I want us to focus on this phrase, do all in the name of Jesus. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So consider for a few moments this with, with me this morning. The name and authority of Jesus. From the very beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry, when He is introducing His kingdom, and if He's introducing His kingdom, what does that mean He is? Pilate said rightly, ah, you are a king then. And a king has the, has the right and the authority to command. But in introducing that kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, we see Jesus do something eight different times at the beginning of that sermon. He says, you've heard that it was said in times of old, this and that, and often quotations from, from the Old Testament, the, the law of Moses that had been misapplied by the Jews. You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, I am giving you the reality of what those commands are. You know the commands, but in order to be pleasing to me, you have to understand the full impact and impart of those commands. I say unto you, by my authority, this is what you should be doing, and this is what you should be understanding. Uh, if you'll turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7, uh, a couple of chapters over, but in the same sermon, in Matthew chapter 7, after Jesus completes His sayings, in verse 28, And so it was, when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished. That's that same word for marvel that we see the people in regard to the miracles of Jesus. They're just as astonished. They marveled just as much at the things Jesus said at His teaching. Why? Verse 29, For He taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. The scribes were the experts in the law, and what the scribes and the Pharisees would do when it came to some question from the law, it really was kind of similar to what we would do, right? They, they would get together, they would debate with one another, they would discuss different options and say, okay, is this what the law is saying? And that's not at all the way Jesus taught. Jesus said, but I say unto you, this is the reality, this is what it is that you must do. And he taught as if he was the authority because he was. And we see that there are people in the Gospel of Matthew and in the rest of our New Testament who recognize that authority that Jesus had. It is by no mistake that uh, we see Jesus have an encounter with a, with a Roman centurion in the very next chapter and in Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 5, Matthew chapter 8 records various miracles that Jesus worked over a, a number of months. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, 
saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord. Now, notice that right off the bat. He calls him Lord. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled. Uh, The very word that we see they had to his words, Jesus marvels at the words of this man and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith not even in Israel. The centurion recognized that Jesus had this kind of authority. And if he had the authority to heal, it didn't matter if he was in the room or miles away, he had the authority to do it. And Jesus praises this man for his faith because he recognized that authority. Now, we know that this was Jesus on earth as a man. And we serve the resurrected, ascended, glorified Jesus who is at the right hand of God with all authority in heaven and on earth. That phrase specifically comes from Matthew chapter 28. If you want to turn to the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18. After Jesus has been raised from the dead and appeared to his disciples, He gives this, what we call, commission to His apostles. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to Me in in the spiritual realm and in the physical realm. So what does Jesus do based on that authority? Well, He commands. Verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Jesus commands His apostles, and He expects those commands to be followed by them and by all who would come to Him, to know Him, by all who would be disciples of Him. We are made a disciple not just by being dunked in water, but when we are baptized in the name by the authority of Jesus. That's how you become a disciple. And then you must learn and follow His commands as a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower. A disciple is someone who imitates and obeys His teacher. And that's what Jesus demands of us. Imitation and obedience. Because He has all authority in heaven and on earth, including over me and over my life. Uh, Notice one more passage before we make some applications to these things. Turn to uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. 
After describing this attitude of putting the needs of others above your own, Paul says to the church in Philippi, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, something that he had to hold on to at all costs, but but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And because of this humility, because of this self-sacrifice, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He has the name which is above every name. And that at, or more correctly, in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In every realm, every being, both good and bad, whether it's uh, in heaven or on earth or under the earth, the idea of Hades, in every realm, every being will bow before His Lordship. And it shows the the cosmic, interdimensional, universal authority of Jesus over all things. And just to clarify what I believe Paul is saying here, it is not that knees will bow when somebody says, Jesus. But it's at the reality of everything that that name represents that He is Lord of heaven and earth, that He is King of kings and Lord of lords. And the fact that He is that Lord with all authority in heaven on earth means that I should bow before Him and confess. Confess what? What does He say? That Jesus Christ is Lord. And know that every single Every single being that has ever existed will make that confession. That He is Lord. And that He has authority. And that His name is above every name. And that will happen on the day of judgment. When all stand before Him. That is going to happen. But what about now? Well, I confess Him as Lord now. As Lord of my life. Commander of all of my actions. Captain of each of my words. God of my heart. I obey. And allow God to work in me according to His will. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. I am submitting myself to the will of God for my life because because I love Him and I know He loves me, but also because He has that authority whether I recognize it or not, whether I submit to it or not. 
And the day will come when I confess His authority. I will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. May it be before the day of judgment. Like the centurion, may I see His authority and submit myself to it. Amen? Amen. So, if that is true, if we acknowledge the name and authority of Jesus, there are some ramifications practically in our lives for that. Three things that I want us to consider by way of application from three passages. If we acknowledge the name and authority of Jesus, number one, we should submit to His authority, submit to His name. Now this is perhaps the most obvious, the one that flows most naturally from the things that we have considered. But I want you to just turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You remember the church in Corinth? That was the one with all the problems. That was the one where there was division and there was departing from the truth and they were doing all sorts of things that they shouldn't do. And so what does Paul do? He, he says, look, there's some authority here that you're supposed to be submitting yourself to. We see that he talks about Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, over and over and over in the opening Ten verses of this epistle. He is bringing them back to Jesus and Jesus' authority so that He can tell them, you're doing all sorts of things that Jesus hadn't authorized you to do, that God has not commanded you to do, that is not fully pleasing to Him, that is not according to His name or His will. And so in verse 10, this is how he, what He says. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. What he says is all of the things that I'm about to talk about, your, the things that you say, the things that you believe, the division and pride that, that is among you, the sin that is in your midst, I am pleading with you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is my Lord, He is your Lord, and it's by His authority, by His name that you need to change the things that you're doing to submit to Him. When it comes to something that is by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we should all immediately say, okay, absolutely, whatever it is. Even if we don't yet know what it is, right? That I'm going to submit myself to His authority, to His name, and whatever the specifics of that end up being, I have already made the determination that I will submit to Him because of the authority that He has. And there should be comfort in that, brethren. Christ has the authority, and we need to do what He says, nothing more and nothing less. And I don't know if we always appreciate Jesus' authority like we should. And I think some of that is cultural. I mean, we, we aren't just Americans, we're Texans. And we don't like anybody telling us what to do. We don't take orders very well. At least some of us don't. Some of you are better at that than others of us. And, and yet I think even more in our culture today, this idea of following orders, of submitting to authority, is just outside our normal experience of the way we think about things. 
Um, just in the last couple of months, I've talked to a couple of people who are supervisors, who are bosses, in, in two very different fields of work, and they both independently have had the experience of telling some people, hey, you know, we've got a crisis going on at work right now. I need you to come in on this day. I know you weren't scheduled to work on that day, but we need you to do that. And I'm, I'm your boss. I'm telling you that. And the response independently of those people were, no, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's the attitude. And I'm not passing judgment on that. I know we need to have some boundaries, work-life balance, all those sorts of things. But that's the attitude, right? Somebody tells me what to do. If it's not what I want to do, I'm not going to do it. I'll admit that I sometimes fall into that same category, especially if it's things that I don't understand, uh, that I think are arbitrary, that I think, uh, that I think don't make sense. And you know this about me. I was with my dad on Tuesday of this past week, and uh, we were driving. I pulled this picture up off of Google Maps uh, this is in Lindale where he lives, and this is where you get on Interstate 20 in Lindale. Uh, and he was telling me this story about my cousin. But you've got to see this sign to understand the story. This sign right here says, Emergency Parking Only, DO NOT, in all caps, and it's a bigger sign, DO NOT DRIVE ON SHOULDER. So you see the shoulder here, and what is that car doing right there? Driving on the shoulder to get onto the interstate. Well, my dad told me a story about my first cousin, and I'm going to pull up just a little further right there. He was driving right here. There were cars backed up at this light. He was driving right here to get onto the interstate. He got pulled over, and he was given a fairly significant ticket. And my dad and I, we discussed the merits of that particular rule, of that particular thing, and we talked about all of the reasons why. And, you know, we could kind of understand back here where there's a turn-in, you know, for businesses and so forth, but, but here... It didn't make sense to us. It didn't make sense. that so you can't drive on the shoulder just to get on the interstate when the interstate's right there. It seems arbitrary, a flexing of muscle. Because we can tell you not to do this, we're telling you not to do it. Now, I'm treading dangerously because of all the law enforcement and then people from TxDOT, and we got everybody in the audience uh, this morning. Let me know after services the reason why I'm wrong about this. But I didn't like it. I wanted an excuse to drive on the shoulder. Because submission is hard sometimes. Especially when you don't feel someone has the right or the reason to command you. But that's where submission to Christ is different. Christ has every right to demand whatever it is He demands. But even more beautifully, he always has a good reason for what he does demand. And that reason contributes in some way to my ultimate spiritual good and or the good, the spiritual good of others. I believe that by faith, but I also believe that by years of personal experience of following the commands of God. How many times in my life? How many times in yours I see a command of God, I see an example given in God's Word, and I say, why is God doing it that way? And it's not until years later I finally realize, because that's the best way. Because that's what's good for me. And God has proven, proven Himself to such a degree in both His love and His authority, that even if I don't see the reason until I'm standing before Him in glory 
I have made up my mind and my heart to submit to His authority and submit to His name. Christ has the authority, and that would be reason enough to obey. Never mind that He knows better than we do, and He knows what is best for us, and He always has our best interest in mind. We don't always understand, and we shouldn't have to, because all authority has been given to Him in heaven and on earth, and so we should do all in His name. We should submit to His authority and name, and we should have that mentality. I'm going to submit whatever it is, but secondly, we must seek His authority and name for our words and our deeds, for the things that we do in our life. I'm going to submit. That's in my heart. That's, that's my attitude toward God. So what do I need to do next? I need to seek it out. What is it that I am supposed to be submitting to? Turn to Colossians chapter 3, if you would. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Let's go back to verse 14, I guess. Um, I, I keep reading up a little further. I've just got 17 on the screen. I'm like, oh, that's good, that's good, that applies. Let's just go back to verse 14. He's describing the transformed character of a Christian. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you also were called in one body, and be thankful. So we've got thankfulness and peace and love. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. We add grace to the mix and wisdom and worship and teaching and admonishing all of these wonderful things. And then in verse 17, in describing this transformed life of the Christian. And whatever you do, I, I think this is a summation, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. The New Testament teaches that we as Christians should have authority for all that we do. And, and that statement, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, certainly begins with and includes the context of verse 16 of our, our collective worship together. Um, we should do all that we do when we come here to worship. We should do all that we do as a local church in, in the name of Jesus, in the name of our Lord Jesus, that, that I have authority to do these things, to worship in this way, uh, all of those sorts of things. But, but it seems to me that this and whatever you do in word or deeds, it, it seems to me that that is a more all-inclusive injunction than just worship or even the local church. Whatever you do in word or deed, what is left out? Not much. It covers everything in life, in thought, in relationships. Yes, in worship in the local church, but in my life, and so when I go home to my family, everything that I do should be in the name of the Lord Jesus. When I go to work, everything that I do should be in the name of the Lord Jesus. When I go to school, everything that I do should be in the name of the Lord Jesus, that I am submitting myself to His will and His desire and His authority for my life. And again, name means authority. Uh, you think about policemen. I've already gotten myself in trouble, so let's see if I can get out of it a little bit. 
If a policeman says, stop in the name of the law, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stop. Why? Because some guy told me to stop? No, because that man has authority, that man or woman has authority from the law. Authority given to them by the law to demand that stopping. And so I am stopping in the name of, by the authority of the law of this land. And all of the, the consequences, all of the privileges that come with being a citizen under that law. So by the authority of Jesus, we're supposed to do all things, in word or in deed. And that's emphasized in that it isn't just the name Jesus, but it's the name of the Lord Jesus, the one who has the right to command, the one who demands and deserves our obedience. In the book of Colossians specifically, this is powerful because Paul's point in Colossians chapter 1 and the first half of chapter 2 is to show the preeminence of Christ, that Christ is over all, that He is better than all, and that He has authority over all things. You can go back and read that book and see that for yourself. And we should live and act based on His authority, not our own. And so I strive in my life, as Paul says here, to make whatever I do in word or deed, like whatever I do where I do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if someone has an issue with something that I do, I should be able to say, well, take it up with the Lord. I'm doing it because He has given me permission to do so. I'm doing it by His authority. Uh, Think about that centurion again in in Matthew chapter 8. We get an interesting detail of that story in Luke chapter 7, if you want to turn back to Luke chapter 7 for just a second. In Matthew's account, Matthew chapter 8, it is told as if the centurion is there himself saying these things to Jesus. But we learn from Luke's account that that's not technically the case. In Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 1, The same circumstances. Now when he had concluded all these sayings and the hearing of all the people, he entered Capernaum, and a certain centurion servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. And Jesus went with them and When he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word, and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard these things, he marveled and said, uh, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. It's interesting, these friends that come to Jesus to relay the words of the centurion, do they speak in the first person or the third person? Do they say, well, he says this and he says that, or do they just say, I also am a man under authority, as if it was the centurion himself speaking on this occasion? What the centurion says here, I say to a servant, go, and he goes, I say, come, and he comes, is exactly what happens here with the Jewish leaders and then his friends. The centurion sent them, and what did they do? They went. 
And when they got there, what did they say? Exactly what the centurion told them to do, as if he were there himself. What if they, in his name, in the name of that centurion, and by his authority, said something different? Would the centurion have been pleased with that? Would they have been faithful friends? Of course not. Which brings us to our final point. We should submit to his authority. Even before we know exactly what it is he demands, our attitude is, I'm submitting to him because he has authority. And so we should seek that authority, his name for all of our words, all of our deeds. I want to do these things by the authority of Jesus. But that brings us to the third logical step in this progression. We should be able to show his authority, his name, not just assume it. Go back to uh, Matthew chapter 7 uh, one more time. Matthew chapter 7. Just before they marvel at his words because he speaks as one having authority. That idea of the name of Jesus is found again. In verse 21 of Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. Now what are you saying when you're calling him Lord? You're saying he's Lord of my life. He directs me. But not everybody who says that shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but who will? He who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not enough to say He's our Lord, to say I'm going to submit to Him. I must actually do it. I must submit to the will of His Father in heaven. Many, he says, verse 22, will say to me in that day, the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, have we not? prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name. And then I would declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Lawlessness. The issue was not these things that they were doing per se, The issue was their lawlessness. It is not enough, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, it is not enough that we merely do religious things in the name of Jesus. To be pleasing to Him, we must do the things He has ordained for us to do. They were not submitting themselves fully to the name of Jesus. And that did all of the other things that they were doing supposedly in His name. Um, I've got two daughters, as you know. And uh, it seems as though it's less now, but in some ways the same. We get permission slips, right? We get permission slips. Can they do this? Can they go there? Those sorts of things. And so I get this permission slip and it says, here's where they're going to be going, here's what they're going to be doing, and I sign off what? My name. I sign my name on that activity for my child. And, and if they participate, it is because I gave them and the school the right to do that. By my name, they have permission to do whatever these things are uh, that they've asked to do. Well, as a Christian, I should be able in all my words and deeds to say, look, here, here, where Christ, here is where Christ has signed off on this. And I can cite book, chapter, and verse where I've been given this right, this authority by my Lord 
to speak and to do and to live and to worship in this way. How would you feel, uh, parents, grandparents, those of you who have ever been in that situation of signing off that permission slip, if the school arbitrarily decided to take your kid to Houston and then said, well, you didn't say not to take them to Houston? And yet that's what so many do with the commands of God. Instead of seeking to do things in His name, we just look for things and say, well, He didn't say not to do this, so surely I've been given this permission to do so. May I humbly suggest this morning that that's the the opposite of what our hearts should be. We should be seeking authority for all our actions, not saying, well, God didn't say not to do this. The question should be, does this please God? That should be the question. Instead of making the statement that too many believers make, well, I just don't think God will care if I do this instead of what He has revealed. And so I say, hopefully as clearly as I can, if God has specifically revealed what pleases Him on a matter, we should not presume to do something that He has not authorized. Uh, I was asked by a brother in Christ not too long ago about a specific occurrence in regard to this. He says, well, you think this is sin. You know, somebody's got a good attitude. They think they're doing it in the name of Jesus. And, and I said, well, God's ultimately the judge of those things, but it's presumptuous. It is a presumptuous sin for us to know what God has said He desires and then say, well, I think God will be okay with something else. We said last time, no matter how well we know someone, we don't know them better than they know themselves. We all know that to be true, right? And so who am I to stand in the place of God and say, I know you said this, but this, this is what I'm going to do instead. So when God has revealed what pleases Him, who are we? Who are we to decide to do something different? Well, I know who we are. We're His disciples. We're His followers. We're citizens of His kingdom. We are part of His family. God commanded what He wanted, and He shouldn't have to condemn everything that He doesn't want. And I suggest that the question for the one who loves God with all of his or her heart and soul and mind and strength is still that same question, does this please God? And whether that's people in the Old Testament or people in the New New Testament, that question remains the same. And more specifically, that question should become for us in a practical way, can I do this, whatever it is, can I do this in the name of the Lord Jesus, by His authority? Because I, as Paul, am seeking to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if, if I say, yes, I can, then where is the Scripture that gives me that right? I desire, and I, I think we should all as Christians desire scriptural backing to give us confidence that Jesus would approve all of our actions in my worship, in my service, in my life. Um, two more minutes. Because there's one thing I want to address. 
I've preached these two lessons and I've suggested these two things not, not because this is the safe route. I think a lot of times that's a misconception. You know, well, this is just, you know, the safe way of doing things. And sometimes it's even sold that way. And, and let me say this about the safe route. The safe route is something that I can't impose upon myself. But the safe route is not something that I should impose on somebody else. I can suggest that and say this is wise, this, this is maybe the best way, the safest way. But ultimately, I am not concerned about the safe route. I'm concerned about the right route, the godly route. I suggest this idea of asking the question, does this please God, doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus, because it is the only route, the only way to live our lives that acknowledges and respects both His authority and His love. That I recognize God's authority over me and in my life, and I, I submit to that and I seek it out, and I want to show it. But I also acknowledge that He loves me more than I am capable of loving anything. And so when He gives me a direction to go in my life, I submit to it, not because it's the safe thing, but because I know it is the best thing. That He knows me better than me better than I know myself and if he has given me a path to take I should take it in fear but also in gratitude does that sound restricting to you um, I mean you can be honest in your own mind that sounds so restricting sometimes having to get permission for everything you do but it's just the opposite it's liberating it's liberating once you have established that authority in your life. I live my life with peace and comfort because I don't have to constantly worry whether God approves of something I'm doing or not. I can point in the Scriptures and say, yes, He does approve. I worship my God with freedom and joy because I can point in my Bible and say, here is where God des desires that kind of worship. And, and worship isn't about me and what I desire. It's about Him and what He desires. And I can act with confidence knowing that I am acting in the name of and under the authority of the King of Kings. And I am content, uh, by the grace of God, to operate within the roles God has given me knowing that He has equipped me to thrive within the borders of those roles. Does this please God? That's the question I want to answer so that I might do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you're here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, do you know how much God loves you? He loved you so much He sent His Son to die for you. And that Son has been exalted to the right hand of God given the name which is above all names. He has given all authority in heaven and on earth. And because He is the one who made the sacrifice, because He is the one who is giving the gift of grace, He also has the right and the authority to set the conditions by which you might accept that gift. So won't you come and do just what it is He said was necessary in order to be made a disciple. Be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit for the remission 
of your sins and learn all of the things that Jesus commands so that you might do everything within your power to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And if you're already a Christian and you realize that you've been following your own will instead of the will of God, brother or sister, come back because God knows better. And we're here to help you in whatever way that we can. If you'll come now, while together we stand and while we sing. I have found